and welcome to Finding Games, the podcast where we talk to people who work in the tabletop games industry and find out how they got there. I'm Sophie from Needy Cat Games and this podcast is supported by our wonderful Patreons. The Needy Cat Games Patreon gives access to the Finding Games podcast as soon as it's edited, as well as providing a whole host of game design tips and general tips for working in the industry. Our guests today are Mike and Grace, who are avid game designers, as well as running the Tabletop Mentorship Program. Let's hear what they have to say. How's your move? Oh, it's been chaotic. Oh, we have been, we traveled from Texas all the way up to Ohio over three days. I was releasing a music project at the same time, so we kept stopping at like (laughs) hotels to squeeze in like radio broadcasts and different things, uploading files, and then we got here and had to get completely set up for a job at a board game cafe and get the mentorship started, and all of that kind of simultaneously has been a bit of uh, delightful chaos. That's that's a lot to do. Yeah, <laughs> it's exhausting. <laughs> no, I don't envy you at all with that. That sounds like a huge task. And then you're, you've also agreed to come on the podcast on top. <laughs> this just, is like a, a delightful break. Yeah. <laughs> is this a nice break from all the chaos you've been going through? Right, exactly. It's nice to talk to a person. <laughs> oh, I know. Especially in these days, um, it's just nice to have any kind of social contact, isn't it, at the moment? So uh, I, I empathize with that. Right. <laughs> so anyway, how are you? How, how are things going at your end in terms of what you've been doing? Yeah, um, I mean, this mentorship session has gone fantastically. Uh, it is our mm-hmm. most uh, mentorships yet in one session. We, so we've been doing this for uh, uh, just over a year. Uh, and this is our fifth session. So we do three month sessions right throughout the year. Um, this is our fifth one. And we have 84 uh, mentorship pairings, which is super exciting. Uh, the first time we did it, we had just around like, thir- you know, 35 ish. So this is quite quite mm-hmm. an upgrade. Uh, is this more than double? Uh, I mean, I'm not great at maths. Yeah, but that's... <laughs> yeah definitely. <laughs> that's impressive. And that's that's happened over just over a year, then you've more than doubled your membership you are like your interaction with what you're doing yeah yeah absolutely yeah last session um was the big jump you know we've had consistently like around you know mid 30s uh mentorships for uh, the first three sessions and then the fourth session something happened you know it was I, a pandemic it was a pandemic <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's true <laughs> and also we we had some some kind of more high profile people talk about it and so it, it had a big uptick in interest and kind of exploded and we're thrilled to see that energy carry forward and how's the response been from people who've gone through the program it's been great um we do exit surveys at the end of every session uh and so we're always trying to improve mm-hmm. it and so in the beginning there was like uh the first session was all me. It was a lot, it was a lot of work, and it was, you know, I made some mistakes here and there, but it got great constructive criticism from people, uh, and then brought Grace on board for the second session and beyond, uh, and has just crushed it, <laughs> has you. improved it so much and streamlined it. Uh, so our last session was our best feedback ever. It was the most positive feedback ever. Uh, we changed something really big last time, and, and it seemed to have paid off in spades. So we're really happy about that. That's amazing. Well, I know that James took part in a mentorship scheme and he was uh, really enjoying being a mentor. So I, I, I can't imagine that it's anything but positive for both sides of people who are going through that. So that's great. Yeah, it's always exciting when you, because because the mentorship is so personal, you don't always hear 
how they're going in detail, you know, you'll just get top level, oh, it's going good, or, you know, we've had five meetings or whatever, but it's nice when we get um, personal connections with people um, who are like, hey, the project that I worked on got signed. There was a, a person last session who um, launched a Kickstarter that they weren't planning on launching um, during their mentorship, and it successfully funded, and we got to kind of watch those sort of things happen, and that's always really exciting and validating. It's nice to see when it's working. That's amazing. Right. So, so let's go back to before it all began. So what was the thing that got you both into tabletop games in the first place? I mean, I've always been playing games uh, since I was a kid, you know, with my family, the classics, the risks, the monopolies, the saris, the troubles. Uh... Yeah, same. We were a Scrabble family. We would we would fight hard for those letters. <laughs> I was in a Trivial Pursuit family, ah. which was a, a weird... Yeah, I hated that game oh, no. so much. <laughs> They're so divisive, right? The games that you grew up with, you either love them or you hate them, but either way, you've played them like a thousand times. Absolutely. So what was the next step from like playing those sort of family board games to then getting more into like, I suppose the term is like hobby board games these days, like the sort of the more, uh, the more specialist games. Although I think that's becoming less and less of a thing. Yeah, now, the isn't it? accessibility on it all around seems to be bigger. But like, like most people, Catan was kind of my gateway game. So I had a friend that taught me how to play that, and then um, the the group of us got really into um, Catan specifically. At first, we had like this beautiful ritual where there are three of us who would play together. Uh, and we would put on the Lord of the Rings soundtrack, and if May It Be ever came on, you had to stop playing and hold hands and have a moment of reverence. Uh, it, was, it was beautiful. Uh, that sounds <laughs> you know, amazing. Right? I, love, I love it. I love any kind of like ritualized moments like that, or you know, we have like a playlist for all of our favorite games, so that there's always like additional mood enhancements and stuff. But so from there, I just you know continued to discover other games. We found a, a board game meetup, Mike and I, when we were living in North Carolina, um, where we would go and play with people. And that was the first time I met somebody who was designing their own games. Our friend Will had this like awesome, gigantic table hog of a, well, like a Hunger Games-esque yeah. survival game. Yeah, it was like fully painted miniatures, magnets in the figures. Yeah. Uh, it was incredible. Yeah. yeah, it was so robust. And again, it was the first time I had seen anybody doing their own thing like that. And so then um, Mike started getting really into designing games and I got pulled into some of that energy because we like to work on creative projects together, uh, which is the exact same way I got pulled into the mentorship as well. Like he <laughs> did the first session by himself. Uh, but like I was there watching and like commenting the whole time. And then so <laughs> when he went to do it again, he was like, all right, you have to do this with me now. Um, but that's always, I find that's often the way when you get like really strong creative um, bonds and partnerships is that the excitement and the passion is really infectious, right? And that's one of the ways that you kind of push one another to do more and more and more and get better and better and better is because you get kind of inspired by the other person. Oh, absolutely. It's so nice to have someone to bounce off of too, because like for my personality, I'm the kind of person who will stop when I think something is good enough. And I really need someone to push past there. So we've had, you know, games that we've worked on designing together where I'm like, all right, I'm done. This is perfect. And then Mike is like, all right, I'm going to spend the next year making this better and then we can work on it again. <laughs> and it's so much better for that process. Um, so it's nice to be able to bring uh, the parts out of another person that that you don't have. Mm. Well, 
and and also I think as well for for me at least personally because obviously uh, James and I make up Needy mm-hmm. Cat Games. Uh, the way that we do is whenever you get fatigued on a project, you can you have the space to put it down because the other person can always pick it up. So having that sort of space gives you space to kind of relearn why you love a project or re re get into rediscover something else that's going to inspire you to do more. Absolutely. Yeah. Take us back to when you were first starting to do your own thing within the industry. What were you doing? What was the, you know, did were you doing a completely different job or did you start straight off the bat in in the industry? What was your what were your first steps like? So we that's a great question it's kind of a weird answer i'm sure everyone has a weird answer for this question (laughs) but so we were living in north carolina and um we had decided uh before we were going to move out uh we were going to hike the appalachian trail uh here in the states um so from georgia to maine it's about 2200 miles um and yeah yeah exactly it's this big kind of trip that everybody does or not not everybody (laughs) no 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 it's, no, it's, nobody does. It's popular right. among people who want to do long hikes and live in the woods for half a year. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so we did that for six months. Um, we we lived in the woods. We hiked. Uh, we brought some games with us, uh, which was really fun um, to play with other people and introduce them to. Um, and at the end of it, when we got back and we settled into our new place, uh, we had really i toyed around with making uh the idea for making a game and we were like well what could we make it out of you know like kind of like write what you know kind of thing and since we had just done doing the trail we're like well let's just make a game out of the appalachian trail you know um and it was this you know we spent you know days and days and days coming up with rules and doing all the maps and like basically all your you know first time mistakes we did all of them you know except for hiring an artist we didn't do that but (laughs) <laughs> but before we ever played the game, we just we did all the rules. We're like this is exactly how it's gonna go, uh, and put it on the table yeah. and started to play. And within the first minute, realized that it would take longer to finish this game than to finish the actual Appalachian Trail. <laughs> it just was not gonna oh, work. It, yeah. Uh, so, but uh, is it, part of the experience of doing those mistakes though are the things that inform you improving and getting better aren't they so you know it's it's great to have that first experience even if it's kind of like not a great experience in the moment oh, absolutely i was so intrigued as to why it didn't work you know like we had planned it out perfectly in our minds when we started playing it was awful and i was like what the heck happened you know and that sort of started me on my like facebook group game design journey of just like seeing if other people have come across similar problems, you know, like what, what do people do when they design games? And, and that was my entry into that whole world. And I just was so curious about how it all worked. So did you move straight from it being like a thing you did because you decided you just wanted to do it into working sort of full time in the industry? Or was it more of a doing it part time, a long time other work roles? How did you how did you make that step from it being a thing that you did on the side to being like your whole focus. Uh, we slid down a long slide that we didn't mean to go down. I think <laughs> we are both passion project people. So anytime our imagination is captured by something, that's where we put all of our time, whether it's spare time or full time. And so at the beginning, like Mike was doing a lot of design work and demoing and playtesting all the time and I I was kind of slower to slide into some of that Uh, we did co-designing together for Uh a while and then 
I started designing my own projects on my own and had my first game published this summer, Celestial Stories from Dyson Inc. So that was exciting. And then we have just very recently, I think, slid all the way to the bottom of the slide where we moved across the country to be assistant managers for this board game cafe. We have designs and dreams of opening a bed and breakfast that is centered around board games. So somewhere along the way, without us really realizing it, it became a lot of the plan. And so it wasn't, at least for me, there were no designs of like, I'm going to work my way up the ranks and become an, a thriving member of the board game industry. It was just like, I really like making things. And then it was like, I really like community organizing and helping people. And then the mentorship, we want to make it better every time. So that takes more work and attention and time. And we now have like a really ambitious session. So now it's like, okay, in the morning, we'll take care of mentorship stuff and then we'll eat and then we'll go to the board game cafe and then we'll come <laughs> home and do more mentorship stuff and then maybe sleep. <laughs> Because you do a lot of different things, right? Yes, that is a a good summation of us as people (laughs) just in general. We do a lot of things. Yeah, I don't know, Sophie, if you've had this moment where the other day, Grace, uh, you know, we were working on mentorship stuff and Grace turned to me and just was like, Mike, I don't know if you realize. And then just started listing like my credits or, or things that I'd done in the industry. And I was like... I was like, oh my gosh, are you, I've done all that? Are you kidding me? Is that me? Yeah. Like, you know, like you still have that, at least me, like I still have that feeling of just when I started, you know, where I'm like, ah, I can't wait to make it, you know? And Grace is just like, no, Mike, I'm pretty sure you surpassed what you thought was possible, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it sort of takes you by surprise, doesn't it? Because those thoughts of like, if I just do X, Y, and Z, then I'll be successful. And all that happens is the second you achieve one of those things, your brain like re- reframes that as oh no 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 not that thing Mm -hmm. this thing then you'll be then you'll have made it so when you stop and take stock of everything that you've already done it becomes quite like quite shocking really at least for us um i've done exactly the same thing with like we run the tabletop industry group we maintain some social media that's gone downhill a little bit over the last few months because of all the challenges but we maintain like a twitter account for that we've also got needy cat games we're designing like six games concurrently like not all at the same time Mm -hmm. but like like three of them are in testing periods while we're doing three others and it you start suddenly realize all the stuff you've achieved over the last few years and you're like oh my word like if you told me three four five years ago that this is where I'd be I'd be like well I've made it but I still have that little voice in the back of my head going no no because you know you're not you're not massively famous so you know even though five people in the whole industry are like household names that everyone knows (laughs) and that's such an unreasonable expectation my brain sort of tells me that so I keep getting surprised by how much I've 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 done yeah it's it's weird to set those barometers where success is so individual and personal too and so if you're like again this industry is not necessarily like a super profitable industry for a lot of the people who are creating in it and so as far as what your traditional benchmarks for success are you know, it's easy to think like, oh, well, I haven't made it until like I can sustain myself financially on the creative work that I'm doing. Mm. And that's not a reality for a lot of people here. So, um, yeah, and for us either, you know, but it's it's interesting to to be able to yeah look back at those other things and say, oh, but I did so much more than I was expecting to or I did accomplish the goals I set for myself or yeah, that if you had told me three years mm-hmm. ago, I would have done any of this, I would have been like, you can make board games. Like, oh. Well, that's cool. Yeah. 
that's that's a thing yeah. you can do how weird <laughs> i think it's really interesting as well because it's it's a weird default and and it's something i've caught myself in and it's only something i've become self-aware of in the last few like i would say even in the last six months that it's a weird assumption within our culture and our society that it, it's not considered that you've made it until you've been able to monetize right. it. Like you can't just make things for mm-hmm. fun. But until my name's on the box and it's gone through Kickstarter and it's getting sold in shops, then I haven't really made a game, right? But that's such a weird way to approach something. Like you can't just be like, I made this awesome thing and I loved making it and I love the process of doing it. Um, it it's like the validation of monetizing something is not the only like benchmark for how successful someone's mm-hmm. been and it's such a weird thing that like as a society that's our default of like well that's the first thing you do the moment you enjoy anything you sell it oh absolutely see my background before this is as an independent musician and it's the same sort of thing where you know I'm, I'm releasing music that i've written and i've made all these albums and recorded them in my house and with my friends and i've toured the country and then yeah you have to be like well why is there so much pressure to turn this into a traditional job or expect this to yield paychecks or, you know, does that take away the Mm. fun of it? And and I love to be able to just give away the things that I've made because you do have to stop and define success for yourself. Right. So for me, I like exactly. So is it that you get a thrill out of making the thing in the first place? For me, I really enjoy the moment of connection where someone has felt something as Mm -hmm. a result of work that I've done. So whether it's, a game that I've made or a song that I've written or the mentorship, you know, to know that somebody has had an experience that has moved them in some way, that's what I judge as successful. And so uh, it's really nice to be able to look at those moments and say, oh, yes, I did affect these people and I did have these moments of connection and, and so many more than you'll ever know, especially with the Internet. You you throw these seeds out into the world and you, you throw a print and play up on the, the Internet and you don't know who's printed and or played. But there's somebody out there who has and, and has these these moments of joy or connection and and you're partially responsible for them. And that's such a wonderful thing. And it it's so hard to shift the conversation on it to even in your own head, I think, at least for me, a lot of the time to think, yes, this is I am I am in this industry and I am a part of it and I am successful at it. Yeah, and I think that's 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 a really beautiful way of of describing it actually because yeah, what you're trying to do is create joy and connection with people and that's that's a far healthier way to try and measure success, I think. And it's something that I've been trying to really push on myself as well, like uh, rather than worrying about is this game going to be the next big thing? Going, am I enjoying mm-hmm. making it? And is, am I enjoying the process of playing the game myself? Like, if I don't enjoy making it, even if loads of other people enjoy playing it, why am I making it? Because if it's just making me unhappy, surely that's not a healthy thing to be doing. So it's it's really great to see how you've kind of redefined your measures for success, opposed to falling into that trap of like feeling like you have to monetize everything. Because I think... I think you're right. Like, and, and it's really interesting to hear that you are a musician as well, because I think creative people tend to be creative in lots mm-hmm. of different ways. Yeah. And I think everyone has the potential to be creative. And I think everyone does have something in them that they can make creative. I think it, uh, they are very much skills rather than like natural talents. But 
the need to feel like you have to do that in every aspect of your life that you can't have hobbies if your hobby is if you spend a lot of time on your hobby then why aren't you going to craft fairs and selling your art or why aren't you you know why don't you have a youtube channel for your music or you know you've got to still somehow make it about money i think is a is a really easy trap for us all to fall into so it's really inspiring to hear that you you talk about that in a different way and it's one of the things we try and do with the mentorship too is like the word industry comes up a lot and I hate it. I'm like, I, I'm like sitting here regretting that I said industry, but you know, I said it. So, but I, I really like the word community and I like that the mentorship program is open to people who are just interested in making things and you, you do get to define your own goals. Mm. So it's not all people who are trying to make a career of it or who are trying to be published. Sometimes it's people who are just like, I had this cool idea and I don't really know how to turn it into a physical thing. And I would just love somebody to help me along that journey and that, that is just as valid as any other project, you know, and that's, that's so central to the way we kind of approach this. And we, as we continue to go the program, you know, you struggle with the balance between, okay, how can we compensate other people for their, their time and their work so that they have the the space to do it um, without making it, you know, some corporate structure, you know, we've, we've looked at other mentorship programs that like charge entry fees or application fees and, those sorts of things that we're trying to avoid to keep it very community focused and accessible. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And I think as well, it's really interesting to hear you talk about how everyone's journey is equally as valid, you know, when you're in that community, because a lot of people are just looking to improve their experience when they're doing their hobby and their passion. And they're just trying to feel like they're improving. And I think a really important part of that is the willingness to fail, where I think the moment you start attaching consequences to it of like, well, then then my Kickstarter will fail, or then my game won't be won't sell. Or even just, you know, I'm trying to pitch this to a publisher. And that if I don't do it perfectly, then I won't get that, then you start losing the potential to fail. So that means people are more scared to take risks and learn and grow. Mm-hmm. And I, it's just a, a weird sort of foible, I think, of feeling like everything has to be about that, as you said, like the industry and that it's actually more about community. And that's all I think I was talking to um, Ross in a previous podcast and he was saying like, you know, a rising tide raises all ships and the better we all do mm-hmm. that we can pull each other up. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's really lovely to foster that kind of community. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, when when he said it, I was like, oh, that's really, that's just a way better way of phrasing it than I ever could. (laughs) (laughs) But that's that's one of the great things about a community, though, isn't it? Is that there is that that ability to learn more stuff from other people and to enjoy the process and enjoy the, I, I don't even like to say failure almost, like enjoying the experience of trying and learning and trying again. And that actually that process in of itself is such a great learning experience for people. And I suppose that's where your mentorships come in is to sort of give people the guidance through that process. Yeah. And a point of connection too. Sometimes it can be very isolating, especially if you don't come in with a built-in community or a group of friends who are into this. Um, it's so nice to just have somebody who's in your corner who says, yeah, your ideas are great and I want to see them exist. That's really cool. I really like that as a as a, a, a philosophy behind what you do. And I really hope that you get more and more people coming, although I don't know how much you'll be able to go with more people. <laughs> Yeah, we, we haven't found the ceiling yet, 
<laughs> but we might <laughs> well yeah i mean it sounds like they're getting into such high demand now though that you're gonna have to start putting in a some sort of limit to how many you can do all at once but that's the no bad thing um <laughs> considering you do them every three months as well that's incredible compared to a lot of mentoring programs which tend to be yearly or mm-hmm. you know twice yearly to do it every three months is a it's a huge amount of investment on your part but and it's a good i think it's a good time for the all parties involved you know it's it's long enough that you could actually get something done you know if you wanted to you know prepare your kickstarter or launch your or, or just make a prototype or whatever um you know create your portfolio uh online uh it's perfect amount of time uh but it's not too long that like no one's over committing right it's, it's a very manageable amount of time in a year yeah i really love when people come in with a really small specific goal like hey there's this contest that the entries are due in two and a half months and I really just want to get a game together for that that's always fun to see well I I, for me at least I'm a massive procrastinator so having a deadline is absolutely (laughs) invaluable I imagine it it means as well that those sessions become really focused and become quite productive because there's there is that end goal yeah absolutely absolutely brilliant so bearing in mind of all the things we've just talked about which is an awful lot we've covered a lot (laughs) in such a short amount of time um so thinking back to like your experience when you first started like dipping a toe into the tabletop games community what would be like the number one piece of advice you would have given yourself or to someone who's going on that journey now gosh i thought about this question and i thought i had an answer (laughs) but it's gosh i don't know like you know you want to say things to that take shortcuts, you know, that are like, oh, don't do this, this is, a, this is a mistake or whatever, or this is like, everybody does this, you know, you kind of want to say something like that to yourself. But I don't know, I'm a big believer in that, like, you know, your experience defines you. And I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for all of those mistakes that I did make or the way that I, you know, discovered playtesting groups, you know, years after I started designing games. Um, uh, where you were just doing it with your friends and family and so excited about it, you know? Like, if I had entered it early, would I have been more pompous about it with my friends and family? Maybe, you know? Like, that wouldn't have been a good experience. Uh, you know, like, I, I don't know. I don't know what I would tell myself necessarily. I, maybe maybe just that, like, it will sometimes be hard, but it will get fun again, <laughs> you know? Like, that sort of, like, that pushing through, like, when it is difficult and you hit that wall. Because I'm the kind of person who... If I'm learning a new skill and I become just good enough to do most of it and it's that like, you know, like strumming a guitar, you know, playing chords. Great. I'm good at that. Finger picking? Nah, I'm fine. I can get away with strumming, you know, like so pushing through that next step and be like, no, you can you can develop this. And it's not that hard, you know, like it, it just takes some work and, and practice and dedication. Yeah, I, I say this thing all the time to James where it's like it's it's not it's not difficult it's just hard work yeah or it's like it's not a difficult thing to do it's just hard work to get through it yeah and it sounds like a sort of contradiction in in terms of course but i see a lot of things like i that is a sticking point for me all the time of like oh this isn't a difficult thing for me to get through i it's just going to be hard work and i don't want to do the hard work (laughs) (laughs) that's a great way to look at it yeah 
absolutely but i think uh, to me that's almost how i define like a bulk of writing games is that because playtesting isn't it's not difficult to playtest but it, it can be quite hard work to play test. Like it's, it's quite repetitive. You have to find lots of different people to play your game. Sometimes it's quite painful because people give you like painful feedback, mm-hmm. you know, and, and even though they're not saying it as against you, it can feel emotionally quite draining sometimes. All of those things are hard work, but it's not a difficult thing to go out and do play testing. It's just hard to experience. Right. Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely struggle more with the, um, Oh, okay. So th- this is broken. Um, I can't solve it. You know, like that idea of like, oh, I'm not good enough to to fix this problem. You know, that that's where usually where I struggle. But you've had so many good experiences where you've put something on the shelf and then come back to it months or a year later, and now you have the skills or the new perspective that let you clear that hurdle much more easily than you had anticipated. Yeah, that's oh, that's absolutely true. Yeah, the first game I really started to seriously design uh, was was too big, you know, for someone just getting into it. You know, that I going back to your other question, I think the advice I would give myself is is uh, start small, you know, design something small. Um, and you know, the the big game I tried was uh, was good, but it was uh, a slog, and I didn't know enough about how to solve these sort of more complex problems. And Grace is absolutely right. I put it on the shelf and then came back to it years later and was like, why was I stuck on this? You know, this is how you solve that, you know, but it's because I had, you know, designed more games and learned more, obviously, as, you know, being in all these groups and playtest meetings, you know, just absorbing all that knowledge and, and having some mentors myself who helped uh, guide me along to, to in that journey. And I think as well, having those experiences kind of inoculates you almost against uh, the the stress of it not working first time. Like, yeah. I suppose, at least when I was first starting out, I used to get really overwhelmed and stressed out if something didn't work. And then that stress would almost be like a block for me to try and find a solution. And I think the more you do it, the more you just get used to that and it's less stressful as an experience. Yep. At 100%. <laughs> and you're like, oh, this doesn't work. That's fine. I'm just, I'm not going to try and fix it straight away. I'm going to let that ruminate. And I'm going to just make a, like a, I don't know if you ever do this, but like a placeholder mechanic. I quite often do that if I'm stuck on a thing. Mm. So I'll be like, uh, I don't know how drafting in this game is going to work here. And, and whether you get your cards at the start or the end of your turn and whether you draw up. So let's just say that everyone's got four cards and you draw them at the end of the turn for now. I know that's not how it's going to work, right. but it, I'm stuck on that right now. So let's just make that as a placeholder mm-hmm. and then I'll loop back around to it once I've worked on this other problem that I already have ideas on how to fix. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's absolutely a great process to go for. <laughs> I think, but that's because I don't stress about it anymore because I've written so many games now that like that would be a huge thing that would stop me in my tracks and that would be the thing that would make me put it back on the shelf and not look at it for a year. Um, which is great as a, as a process if you are in that place. But now I just wouldn't stress. I'd be like, oh, well, you know, it doesn't really matter if that bit's broken. That's fine. I'll just move on to another bit. And actually, at least for me, that's informed a lot of my life. Like I've become a much less stressed person now because I've gone through that experience of like doing something and not working and, and finding out that that's okay. That actually I've kind of almost adopted it reverse back into my life rather than it being a life skill I brought to games design, games design 
sometimes kind of informed my life skills. That's amazing. Yeah, congratulations. That sounds really good. Oh, thank you. But I just think that those things, that that shows the value of of learning that stuff. As you said, like start small, except that sometimes you have to put things away and come back to them later and that those things do help and that that can be a really useful process. So Grace, do you have anything to add or do you think? Um, If I was going to go back and tell myself something other than like this exists and you are going to do it. (laughs) Um, I think some, one of the things I've been ruminating on lately um, with all of my creative projects is coming back to the idea that what makes you different is what makes you interesting and special. Um, And I know that can kind of come off as like a weird kind of exclusionary statement, but basically the idea to just lean into the stuff that you like or find interesting. And again, it, it may buck trend or it may, you know, be things that people are like, why would you put your energy on that? Or, you know, but the board games that I like have the weirdest themes and the most colorful art. And, mm. you know, the music that I like is emotional. And, you know, it's it's about carving out a space where you feel comfortable and happy as opposed to trying to fit yourself into the mold of what what you think you're supposed to be. And so, like, I got really lucky working on Celestial Stories. I was invited to be part of the Dyson Inc. anthology. And uh, I pitched them an idea that was a collaborative, (laughs) cooperative storytelling role and write. Um, And my, like, initial pitch was so self-deprecating. It was like, I, um, you may say this isn't a game. I don't know if this will be well-received, but it was the idea I had the most feelings for and most excitement for. And the publishers were great and so supportive. And they were like, yes, this is a game. And this is a game we want to make. And we're excited about it. And if anyone tries to tell you it's not a game, we'll like fight for it. And they were so supportive of it the whole time. So that when I did start seeing like uh, a few negative reviews or things like that, I at least knew that there were people who, who it was for, right? When you make art of any kind, it's not for all people. And that can be hard to learn. (laughs) Well, no, that's such a, that's such a lovely story though, because you knew that they had your back, but also you're right. There there are games for everyone and it's really easy to fall into the trap of, I need to make something that people will like. So therefore I won't make something that I necessarily like. Yeah. And it's, and it's such a hard lesson too, that just because someone doesn't like something you didn't, that you made, it doesn't mean they don't like you. That, you know, your art is is not the sum of you. So you can put out a board game that your friends like and nobody else likes, and that's okay. That doesn't mean you're a bad designer, you know? It just means that you made something that made people really happy. And those are the people that you're, you're, you should focus on, you know? That was some of the best feedback I got early on doing music was focus on the people who are receptive to what you're making because those are the people you're making it for. You're not making it for people who... You're not trying to convince other people to like it who are already disinclined to like it. You don't have to win them over. There are people in the world who want the things that you make and you just need to find them because they're out there and they're excited for you. Oh, that's lovely. I love that. Um, I I kind of learned a similar lesson, but nowhere near as as poetic and nowhere (laughs) near as as nice as that, where the same thing in in playtesting of like, if someone doesn't like something, you don't have to change your game every time someone just goes, oh, I don't like that thing. That's fine. But to to actually extend it beyond the, you can make whole games that only a few people like and that's fine, is is actually quite nice. It, it gives you permission to, to make the thing that, that makes you happy mm-hmm. at the end of the day. I think that goes back to what we were saying earlier, doesn't it? Yeah, it all kind of ties together. <laughs> oh, look at that. <laughs> 
That's really lovely. And it's so nice to hear about the experience that you had with Celestial Stories, about how the publisher was so positive and like so behind you and be and, and okay to embrace the idea of uh, a game not necessarily being for everyone, but it being for those few people. Yeah, it was wonderful. And it and it fit really nicely with the vision of, because Dyson Inc. is an anthology of 10 roll and rights. And so most of them are closer to traditional roll and rights. They're little math puzzles. And so it was so thoughtful to be for them to include something that is a little more of a filler and is social and is a different experience. And mm. uh, I know it hasn't, you know, people right now are like doing solo gaming experiences and things as a result of the pandemic. Uh, so it maybe hasn't gotten a, a chance to breathe its fullest life yet. But it was, yeah, it was really nice to have them in my corner. And they were they were so wonderful and supportive. I couldn't have picked better people to be involved with. Do you think that your experience of like making music has inspired that kind of philosophy? Oh, absolutely. I, and it, it was so essential in my confidence level too, because again, it's so hard to put something that you've made out there um, to be received by anybody. And if I hadn't gone through that with music first, I don't think I would have had the confidence to do that with games. And that's also part of why Mike and I do so much co-designing. Not only do we enjoy creating together, but it, it gives you a bit of a safety net. You know, if, if somebody doesn't receive something well well we made it together this the pressure isn't all on me and this isn't a a personal failing in the same way if you've done it collaboratively or as part of a team now you can kind of see it more as the project that it is as opposed to this is me on a plate yeah no I can see I can see the philosophy behind that and I absolutely when you're when you're doing something collaboratively you do have that sort of space as well to feel uh, not, I don't want to say analytical, that seems almost less emotional, but you have that ability to separate yourself from the thing that you're creating and be able to embrace the best and let go of the bad more than if it's just an individual experience. Or at least that is for me as an individual. I think other people do have the ability to do that individually, but for me at least it was a big deal to be able to work in that kind of collaborative process. Yeah. There's some really lovely philosophies that you two work under. And you can see that because you've chosen to do the mentoring program. And clearly, having those kind of positive processes behind what you do has influenced you wanting to help others in the first place at all. So that's obviously like a thing that guides you on your journey. Yeah, and it's, it's easier than I thought it would be uh, to do that. You know, like, the people who want mentors, they're out there, they just have they don't know where to go. You know, you have to build that house for them to go into. Um, you know, like we didn't create mentors and mentees. We just gave them the tools to meet each other. You know, like same thing with the micro grants, you know, like we wanted to be able to give um, to help out underrepresented creators, you know, financially when we were fundraising. Obviously, we don't both personally have all the funds to do this. So we did a GoFundMe for it. And people came out in droves and, and donated so much money. It was unbelievable, the kindness uh, that everyone showed. And you just have to give them the opportunity. You know, you just have to hold out your hand and say, uh, this is what we need or this is what we have. Do you want it or can you give it? And, and you'll find tons of people who would do that. That's a really positive sort of experience within the community as well, to find that what you, what you wanted to do was along the same lines as what a huge amount of the people in the community want to experience to to put yourself out there in the first place has given you the opportunity to to learn that and if you'd not done that in the first place you wouldn't have had that opportunity to find that stuff out yeah precisely absolutely you know we're talking about like how do you measure success or whatever like for us for this program part of the measurement of success is 
are other will other people do this as well you know like we don't necessarily want to be the only mentorship program and we know we're not you know we modeled off of a couple ones that we found and got validation from that we're not the only scholarship we're not the only micro grant you know like there are others out there but we want to see more of that you know it's to show people that it's easy to do and that and it's possible and that there's an audience for it um we've already had requests from people who you know uh wanted to get their own mentorship started program uh, programs started in their own sort of localized area uh, because ours is so like global and all-encompassing it's multidisciplinary you know it's not just game designers it's artists and translators and convention runners and all that kind of stuff so um, it's cool to see it's really cool to see it's super validating yeah like you said earlier it's not that it's hard it's just that it's hard work yeah it, I literally, I say it about so many things now. <laughs> it's like my mantra. <laughs> and really, at the end of the day, what's a bit of hard work? At least for me as an individual, I find that, yeah, like I, I'm not intimidated by the idea of hard work. I'm just going to confront myself with it, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's great to hear that you, you know, that you're in that situation now. And I really thank you both for coming and talking to me um, because it's been really inspiring to hear what you've had to say. Well, it's been lovely chatting with you and, and hearing your perspective as well. I think our, our philosophies meld well together. Yeah, and, and I think there's a lot of positivity within the game design community as a whole, you know, that a lot of people are trying to embrace that positivity generally. Um, so I think we just need to keep fostering it because it's, it's such a great environment to be. And, and it's a nicer place to be when we're all being trying to raise one another up, I think. Absolutely. You just want to connect those dots and, and keep people creating. Indeed, indeed. Well, thank you so much. And uh, are you still unpacking? Are you still are you still settling in, or are you you settled now? Uh, we have unpacked, uh, but all that means is that everything's on the floor in, in a pile <laughs> rather than in nice neat boxes. And we moved with almost no furniture, yeah. so we got a, a really cool old man chair for like ten dollars at a yard sale the other day. So now we both at least have a place to sit, and we're we're on our way. Bargain. Well, that was Mike and Grace, and I want to say a huge thank you to them. Such an enjoyable chat. I had such a great time. Some really interesting insights on the philosophy behind them doing what they do and the reason why they started up the mentorship program. With some added life skill discussion added in, that was great. Uh, I also want to say a huge thank you to our patrons who supported us into being able to make this podcast. And please do make sure you check that out if you would like to also support us in the future. That's needycatgames.com slash Patreon or patreon.com slash needycatgames. It works both ways. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.